Good morning. So you should have a handout. If you don't, put your hand up. Daniel, make sure you get one. A couple over here, a couple over there. Okay. So we're continuing our study in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And before we start, I want to give anyone who has memorized the key passage of Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, to say it for us. If not, we'll say it together. Anybody have it done? Okay. Oh, you do? Was that a hand raise? Oh, you're looking for a <laughs> looking for a, a note thing. Okay, so let's say it together then. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That passage actually comes right after Hebrews 11, and all that we're doing in Hebrews 11 is actually preparing for Noed's sermon on those verses, okay? So have to pay attention. All right, so I want to ask you a question this morning. What is your view of God? What is your view of God? In his book, Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer writes, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And then he said, Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. So today we are going to look at the lives of a few Old Testament believers and consider their view of God and the difference their view of God made in their lives. So we'll study the life of Moses, of Joshua, and of Rahab the harlot. Though radically different in their upbringing and in their lifestyle, these three characters shared the same view of God. And by their faith, uh, their faith in God, they changed the course of history and they earned the right to be included in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. Their view of God helped them overcome every obstacle they faced, every obstacle that stood in their way. Your view of God has a profound effect not only on your doctrine, but on the outcome of your life. How you view God will radically change your life. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, we read this. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out, or carry, yeah, carry out great exploits. 
The people who know their God look to God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. God who is able and willing to deliver us from every trial, from every attack, through every test, through tough times, and through every danger. If you, knew, if you know God, then you will know that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Okay? We're going to be afflicted. We're going to suffer trials. But if we know God, we know what he promises, and that is deliverance uh, from them all. In Psalm 46, we read this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, I don't know if you can see in that picture, that little yellow dot there. That's a man standing in the doorway, okay? A place of safety in the midst of the storm. No matter what trial comes our, our way, no matter how difficult the days ahead may be, no matter what the devil throws at you in life, if your view of God is that he is our refuge and strength, then those who trust in him are safe and secure. And even when we, <coughs> excuse me, and even when we reach the end of our years, we can say with David, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. Now, this next slide is particularly for Joey and the Shapiro family here. I think. Not this one. This one. Okay. Okay. Can you guys describe for me what that is a picture of? Yes. Okay, it's a picture of a dog. Say again. Okay, could be. I have no idea, but if you're if you know your classifications of dog, you're probably right. What else does that picture show us? Yes. Why do you say that? Okay, so that is one of the indications that the dog is fearful. The dog is afraid. It's got its tail between its leg. It's cowering. That dog is a picture of a dog that is afraid. Okay? That's a fearful dog. Okay, next one. Aw, I was expecting that. Okay, there we go. Thank you. All right, Joey, what is that a picture of? Okay, could be. And again, you're probably right. So it's another dog. What's the difference between this dog and the last dog? He's smiling, yeah. Okay. This is a dog that's very happy. A happy dog or a peaceful dog, right? Okay, now if we put the two of them together, fear is the opposite of faith. And you can use a picture of dogs or cats or anything else, but the, as human beings, it's the same thing. Fear tells me that I'm not trusting God. Faith tells me that I don't need to fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. So you're going to face obstacles in the Christian life. It's a given, just as our Old Testament counterparts did. But the obstacles 
are no match for faith. If you think God can't handle your circumstances, then your God is too small. Okay, so on your outline, this is where we start the outline, faith overcomes fear. And so we look at the life of Moses, chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. The children of Israel were in Egypt at this time and they were multiplying like rabbits and Pharaoh viewed them as a threat to the country. He said to his commanders, look, the way they're growing, if our enemies come against us, they may switch sides and join our enemies. And so he considered the Jews to be a threat to the, com- to the country. He put the Jews under bondage and forced them into the backbreaking work of making bricks for the kingdom, and their numbers increased. So Pharaoh issued an edict, and he told the midwives, so in those days they didn't have hospitals, They had midwives who would go to the pregnant ladies who were about ready to deliver their babies, and they would help them deliver the babies. And so Pharaoh said to the uh, midwives, kill all male children. Every male child that is born, kill them. And the midwives thought about that, and they said no. They didn't say it to his face, but they didn't do it. And when he asked what was happening, why they weren't killing the male child, they said, they're just so fast. I mean, they have the babies before we get there. And um, they did not follow the decree. So then we have the decree coming down that's even stronger in Exodus chapter 1, verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, every son who is born, you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. This was the law of the land. Imagine how you would react as a parent with a law like this hanging over your head. Imagine the fear that was aroused in the hearts of young parents as they were coming to the time of delivery. There was no ultrasound to find out whether or not the child was a male or a female. You wouldn't know until the child was born. And then when the child is born and you see that before you is a son, what would you do? What would you do? Do you obey the law and kill your son? Or do you fear God and break the law? Many families simply complied with the law. What would you do? Here is a couple, and they have just given birth to a son. And they look at each other. And then they look at their son. And anxiety grips their heart as they know what the law demands. But then faith comes to their heart. And they think about God and who God is. And they fall to their knees and they cry out to the Lord, Oh Lord, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. It's a psalm. The husband looks at his wife and he says, since God is for us, who can be against us? And she replies back to him, in God I have put my trust. 
I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And this beautiful child will be saved. And that's what happened with the, in the life of Moses' parents as they saw Moses born. They had to either fear or have faith, one or the other. You can't have both. And their faith shone through and they saved his life. They faced the threat of the full strength and power of the Egyptian government against them. And by faith in God, they overcame Pharaoh's command. Exodus chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 says this, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood off afar, afar off and, uh, to know what would be done to him. Now, we know the rest of the story. We're looking back with 2020 vision. Moses' parents did not know what would happen. They knew that God had given them a beautiful child, a beautiful baby boy, and they refused to believe that it was God's will to drown this child. By faith, they overcame fear and defied the Pharaoh and saved Moses' life. Now, we all make choices in life, every one of us. And our view of God determines the choices that we make in life. If God is our refuge, if God is our help, if God is a very present help in time of trouble, then we can make tough choices because we believe God is able, as I said earlier, to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we can ask or think. If God is our refuge, he will shelter us. If God is our refuge, he will protect us. He will answer us in the day of trouble. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. What that means is this. If you are righteous, you are a believer, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ and you come to the Lord with a righteous request. Lord, it is wrong to kill a child. Please save this child. Please deliver me from this problem. Now, although the circumstances are somewhat different, Go ahead for the next slide, Jake. Many parents have been told by doctors that their unborn child is going to be born with a terrible disability. Some of you have faced that here in the chapel. Some of you have had doctors tell you that about your unborn children. Often, doctors in those circumstances will recommend abortion. What choice would you make? It depends on your view of God. The doctors instill fear in the hearts of parents, and yet parents know that the life of that child is precious in God's sight. And parents wrestle with these life choices. Can God be trusted? What would you do? Life and death are in the power of your decision in a situation like this. The solution depends on your view of God, right? Can he be trusted? Faith overcomes fear believes that God is still on the throne, and when parents cast their care upon him, they find that God cares for them. That's faith. That's the big view of God. Faith overcomes 
fear. You know, there are times when there is a clear conflict between the morals of society or the laws of the land and God's word. Do you remember in the days of the early church, Peter and some of the disciples were preaching the name of Jesus Christ for salvation. And the Jews had them arrested and put into prison. That night, the Lord miraculously freed them from prison. And uh, there they were out the next morning preaching again. And the, and the leaders, the rulers said to them that they must stop preaching in his name. And they looked at the rulers and they thought about the command and they said, look, you guys have to figure out what is right or what is wrong. Is it right for us to obey God or is it right for us to obey man? As for us, we're going to keep preaching in the name of Jesus. Okay? And they continued to do so. And, and uh, Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. When you face that kind of a moral dilemma where there's a conflict between the rules of men and the, and the, uh, the character, the nature, or the commands of God, obviously um, we ought to obey God rather than men. Okay, next on your list, uh, faith makes right choices. Now, we know that God saved Moses when his parents put him in that basket and floated him down the Nile. The Pharaoh's daughter, of all people, retrieved him and spared his life. She found a woman. She wanted to have a woman nurse Moses and raise him until he was weaned. And it just so happened that it was Moses' own mother that got the privilege. God rewarded her faith by giving her back her son. That's really what it was. And eventually, though, he was brought into the palace of the Pharaoh and he was raised as royalty by Pharaoh's daughter. It says in Acts chapter 7, she brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. <clears throat> it's clear from the scripture that Moses at this time already knew that God had a purpose and a plan for his life. We read this in Acts chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended, and if, so one of his own brethren, that is, the uh, Jews, seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand. But they did not understand. Moses understood, but they did not understand. So faith makes the right choices. His first choice <clears throat> is that he refused worldly fame. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. We all make choices, don't we? Now imagine yourself being raised by royalty. That was your life. It's pretty much all you knew. When he was weaned from his mother's breast, it was quite clear that he was still a young child. Probably had very little recollection of all of that. And for, let's say, let's exaggerate and say she weaned him for five years. For 35 years, he lived in the palace court. His first choice was to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was a life-changing decision. 
Had he remained in the court of the Pharaoh, he may have become the heir to the throne. And by faith, he refused the fame, the honor, and the prestige that came, or that would have been his. Why would he answer the call to be earthly royalty when God had called him to be his servant? Why? He realized, as Spurgeon said, if God calls you to be a missionary, don't shrivel up to become a king. Bill McDonald used to say, we are here for bigger business than to be the CEO of amalgamated paperclips. God has a purpose for us. God has a plan for us, for each one of us. And Moses understood what that plan was for his life, and he knew that God's plan did not include becoming the next Pharaoh. God had a bigger job for Moses to do. You know, if Moses had become the Pharaoh, his name would probably be forgotten like most of the Pharaoh's names are. Or he would have, if he was a famous Pharaoh, he would have been carted around from uh, show to show, you know, his dead uh, sarcophagus or whatever they call that. Um, but God had a bigger plan for him. The Bible says this, we are not saved by works. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. So our works don't get us saved. But once we are saved, the Bible says we are saved for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What that verse is saying is this. Before time began, before there was the earth, God had a plan to see you come into the world, that you would be created, and that you would have a purpose and a plan in your life for him and for his glory. He saves us for good works that he prepared before the world began. At 40 years old, Moses began his life work. He had lived out one-third of his life, because Moses lived to be 120. So at one-third of his life, he began his life work. Well, I don't think we're going to live to be 120. With all the medical advances we have, they still lived longer than we did back then, okay? Average about 70, realistically. It's about 70. So by the time we reach 23 years old, we have already reached about one-third of our life. That's the same uh, percentage, if you will, as Moses. One-third of your life. And for many people, that is the time of life when you, you know, you finish schooling, you finish college, you start looking for a career, you start looking for a family, for a wife, for a husband, for, you know, a house, and all that kind of stuff. That's sort of like the beginning stage of your, of your new life. You may end up in a career, but the question is, what is your calling? Not your career, what is your calling? Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he is known today as a man of God. That was his first choice. The second choice is that he chose to suffer rather than to indulge in pleasure. Verse 25 says, Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. We all make decisions, don't we? Every day we make decisions. By faith, Moses made his choice 
to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses made his choice, and in God's book, that choice counts as faith. Did you know that? Every time you make a choice in life, it's either a choice of believing God or believing the devil, believing the truth or believing a lie, And Moses made a choice, and he says, this is the choice, this is the path that God wants me to go down. He wants me to live like this. That's faith. When we make that choice and we take that step to do the right thing, that is counted as faith. Our life choices are faith choices. Before us, before Moses, were all the temporary gratifications of sensual desires. Temporary. Temporary. Actually, temporary in this, in this uh, instance means his whole life. Okay? He could have lived his whole life gratifying his sensual pleasures in uh, Egypt if he had remained there. Had he remained in the king's palace, he could have enjoyed everything. Food, uh, whatever he saw, whatever he wanted to touch, whatever he wanted was his. A whole life. And yet the Bible talks about that as being temporary. But he chose to endure trials with God's people. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is essentially saying this, look. Suppose you live the entire rest of your life in affliction. It's temporary. In light of eternity... It is light and it is temporary. But when we get to heaven, the affliction that we went through will be rewarded. And it's a weighty reward and it's for eternity. That's the choice that we face day by day. We have the same choice as Moses. By his choice, Moses encourages us to choose suffering over pleasure. And Paul said the same thing in Philippians 1.29. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a choice. His third choice is that he abandoned the treasures of Egypt. In verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Wow. <laughs> he was surrounded by treasures. I mean, imagine growing up as royalty, really. I mean, nothing uh, but treasures. He was in need of nothing. But then he saw the suffering of God's people, of his own countrymen. And the next choice was to abandon the treasures of Egypt because he could not remain complacent. And he chose to suffer the reproaches of Christ. And faith puts Christ's concerns above wealth. Our view of God, or of who God is, and why we are here, and what rewards He has in store for us, should affect everything that we think, 
everything that we do, everything we live for, and every choice we make. At 40 years old, Moses abandoned the unlimited treasures that were his. And in his estimation, the suffering of Christ was far greater treasure than the wealth of Egypt. You say, well, how, how exactly uh, could he esteem the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt since Christ hadn't even been born yet? How is that possible? Christ hadn't come. Well, what it means is that Moses suffered the same kind of reproach as Jesus would later suffer. And like Jesus, he endured suffering knowing there was a greater reward in the end. So that's really the question for us as we live day by day. Which is better, instant gratification or future reward? Here we go again, choices. We all have choices, and we all make them. Every time we reach into our purse or our wallet, we... Um, make a choice. And we actually demonstrate by how we spend our money what we think is valuable. I'll give you an example. Let's say you're here and the offering basket goes around and you throw in 10 bucks. Okay? You find, you get, a little hard to do it because you had a five there too, but you go, nope, I'm going to give a 10 this time. And you throw in a 10, right? But then you go out for lunch and you spend 20 bucks. You've made a choice. Now, I have no problem with you spending $20 on lunch. If you're hungry, go eat, you know? And, and I'm not just talking about money that we put in an offering. The point is, every time we spend money, we are showing what we really believe, what we really count as valuable. Now, it's easy today with all of our electronics and our apps on our phones and everything else like that, where you can actually see how you spend your money. Most of your bank tools actually have a graph, and you can go, wow, I spent, you know, 30% of my income on frivolous stuff. You can, you can look at it and find out. It tells me where your heart's at. It tells you where your heart's at, what you think is valuable. Take a look at it. See how much of it goes to passing pleasure and how much of it is spent with eternity's values in view. All of us make choices. I believe that at some point or other in our life, God begins to try to loosen the grip that is on our heart. You know, our, it's like tentacles around our heart. Money, possessions, all of that sort of stuff. And there's that grip. I want, I want, I want. And then when I get it, I want more, I want more, I want more. Right? All of us have that tendency. And that grip is a grip around our heart, and God wants our heart, all of it. And as he begins to touch those areas of our heart that are so precious to us, loosen the hand, and you'll find that God shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He promised. Do you have faith to believe that God will do or fulfill what he promised? Jesus, what was Jesus' view of true treasure? He said this, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor. In this particular passage, it's Luke, uh, Luke's gospel. He's not talking about poor in spirit. He's talking about poor financially. Blessed are you poor, 
for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. What is your view of God when it comes to money, material things, and so on? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And in the context, he's saying, look, if you seek me first and you put your resources to the work of the Lord, I will put my name at stake here. I will make sure that every need you have is supplied. You will always have food on your table. You will always have a roof over your head. You will always have clothes on your back. That's the all things that he's talking about here. Do you believe God will take care of you? Do you believe that what he says, to cast all your care upon you, upon him, for he cares for you? The Bible says, because the Lord is our shepherd, we have everything we need. He will make sure that all of our needs are met. All right, next on your um, list here, faith sees the invisible God. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Basically, it says that Moses turned his back on the Pharaoh. He became a traitor to Pharaoh and bowed in allegiance to Christ. He feared Pharaoh so little because he feared God so much. Moses really had an exalted view of God, and he realized Pharaoh was just a puppet on the string. There was nothing Pharaoh could do to him as long as he trusted in God. The Bible tells us that one day the world will come to understand what we already know, and that Jesus Christ is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. He could see Pharaoh with his eyes, but by faith he saw God. He, faith sees the invisible God, and he says, you know, given the choice of submitting to Pharaoh or submitting to God, I choose God. Simple as that. Next, faith obeys the word of God. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. So he continues on in the chronology of the um, Old Testament, comes to the part, point of the Passover. You'll remember that God sent plagues on Egypt because Moses had gone to Pharaoh asking that uh, the people of God would be released and to go out into the wilderness and worship God, and Pharaoh con continued to refuse and harden his heart. This was the tenth of ten plagues um, upon Egypt, and it was the death of the firstborn son. With each previous plague, God showed the impotence of the gods of Egypt. They worshipped the god of the Nile. He turned it into blood. They worshipped frogs. They had their fill of frogs. They worshipped the sun. They were, you know, suffering in darkness. These were the gods of, that the Egyptians worshipped. By faith, Moses overthrew the entire religious world of Egypt. 
But in coming to this Passover, God had told them to take a lamb, a uh, firstborn flawless lamb, to kill it, to sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And he says, if you do that and you eat of the lamb inside the house and you stay inside the house, when the angel of death comes over Egypt, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And Moses said, okay, that's what I'll do. That's faith. You know, when we look at the Bible and we see a promise of God and we're that simple in our faith and we just simply say, okay, God says it. It's good enough for me. That's what I'm going to do. That's the same kind of faith Moses exhibited here and the children of Israel did. And that night when the angel of death came, all of those who had simply believed God were safe. They were safe because they followed what God said. By faith, you can be saved today. God commands you to do something very, very simple. And that is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the blood that he shed for you cleanses you from all sin. You say, well, that's just too simple. God made it simple so that even a child could believe on him and that they could have everlasting life. Salvation is just that simple. God wants you to, to believe in him, have everlasting life, and not perish. Next, faith removes every obstacle. Well, as soon as they finished, they packed their bags, and out they went toward the Red Sea because they were going to head out to the wilderness. You know, sometimes in life we may feel trapped. There are times when our future is unclear, or the path before us is blocked. There are times when it seems like there are enemies on every side. And we may wonder aloud, what are we to do? And here's one simple verse for you, two simple verses actually. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Simple verses, simple faith, believes what God says and says, Lord, I haven't got a clue. What do I do in this circumstance? And the Lord will direct your paths. Israel was trapped. Moses was leading them by God's command. He comes right to the, to the um, shore of the, of the Red Sea. And uh, the armies of Egypt are right behind him in hot pursuit. And there seems no way out. There seems no way forward. No way backward. They're trapped. And uh, they had nowhere to turn. But they turned to the Lord. And, Mo and God told Moses to stretch out his hand. And as he stretched out his hand, in uh, Exodus 14 it says this, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. A lot of people have very crazy ideas about what happened here. Try to come up with natural explanations of how the wind blew the water to one side. It's not what it says. It's really, it says in the scripture that it was like a wall on each side of them. What kind of wind blows like that? Okay, but it's a wind that was provided by God, where he divided, he split the waters in two. Not only did he split the waters so that they were on either side of them, he made a path of dry land through the midst of the sea so that they would go through and they wouldn't get stuck and it wouldn't be hard for them. 
And it says, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, when the Egyptians said, hey, they went through that path, you know, they already blazed the trail for us, let's go. And they had their horses, and they had their chariots. And it says in the scripture that basically God took off, he removed the wheels. As they went in there, he, he, everything broke. And they were stuck. When the Egyptians tried to pursue them, God caused their chariot wheels to fall off or to bind. And they realized this was the hand of God. Then God told Moses when he was on the other side to stretch his hand out yet again. And those, that wall of water on the right and that wall of water on the left encompassed all of them, and they, the Egyptians, and they drowned. And it says there was not one left. God destroyed them. A blocked path means nothing to faith. Faith opens a way of escape. It says, by faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Well, for the believer, this is really a story of great encouragement. It tells us that when we feel trapped, God will provide a way of escape. Think about it. God caused the Red Sea to split open. Later in their history, God caused the Jordan River to roll back all the way to the city of Adam. And they went through the Jordan River on dry land. And for the believer who thinks that he is trapped by sin's temptation, God provides a way of escape. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But with the temptation, God will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Do you feel trapped in the path you're on? Or have you come to a place in your life as a Christian where you think, you know what? The door seems closed everywhere where I look. The doors are closed, and I long for them to be open. What are you to do? Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Isaiah says, So he shall open, and no one shall shut. And he shall shut, and no one shall open. It is God who opens the path. It is God who opens the door. It is God who directs our steps. The church of Philadelphia in Revelation 3.8 was a suffering church, was under attack. They had remained faithful, but their strength was spent. And yet their size and their physical strength really doesn't matter. For Jesus is the one who said, See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. And to me, these are encouraging words from the Lord at this time in our history at Calvary. It's not about our size. It's not about our physical strength. Faith looks to the Lord to open doors that seem shut to us. Doors of victory, doors of blessing, doors of fruitfulness. If he does that for us, no one can shut those doors. So it's interesting that the next um, story of faith actually skips over 40 years of Israel's history. 
And you say, why did he skip over 40 years? Well, it's because 40 years of wandering in the wilderness was not of faith. It was the people of God who refused to believe God and enter into the promised land, even though God had promised it to them and told them that he would fight for them. And they said, no, there are giants in the land. And they ran away and they wandered in the wilderness and they died in the desert. 40 years of unfaith, (laughs) if there's such a word, unfaith. Okay, lack of faith. But finally, 40 years passed. And uh, come to our next. Um, Fortified walls mean nothing to faith. Faith brings down walls. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. For seven, so God said to Israel, look, go in to the promised land, and the first city that you're going to come to is a fortified city with towering walls built on a hill. It's, the, it's almost impenetrable, really. And so God says, I'm going to have you defeat this city. Okay? How would you like us to do that? March around the city, unarmed. And then the second day, do the same. And the third And up to the seventh day, and on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times around the city. And then blow trumpets. And when that happens, watch what happens. And the walls of Jericho, this impenetrable city, fell down. It's a strategy that would turn a military general's hair gray. But it worked. Because God removes barriers like walls or mountains or stubborn hearts or opposition by the devil. God can remove any of those barriers. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Doesn't matter if there's a wall. Doesn't matter if it's the devil himself who's resisting or fighting us. If God is on our side, if God is our refuge and strength, he is a very present help in trouble. In the spiritual battle in which we are engaged, we don't use swords and guns or bombs. Okay. Neither did they for the, um, the walls of Jericho. Instead, they had the weapon of our warfare, which is faith. And that's what we have as well. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What are these strongholds? Not the walls of Jericho. But men who oppose the truth of God's word and express unbelief at the knowledge of God. All right, next, faith stands on the Lord's side, and this will be our last one. Um, Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. It's an interesting story. There was a Gentile woman in the city, and she had housed the spies who had come to um, spy out the land. And she waited And um, she trusted in God, and she asked that when they came to destroy the city, that they would spare her. Because she was really saying, I am abandoning my people, I am abandoning my city, I am abandoning my country, I am trusting in the living God. That's really what her faith was all about, trusting in the Lord. And as, as a result, she took a stand with the Lord and condemned her own people. In a sense, Rahab faced the same choice that we all face in life. Faith ultimately is a choice. Are you going to follow the Lord and stand with him? Or are you going to perish with the world 
that does not know him and has rejected him. You know, Joshua made an interesting comment to the people of Israel, and I'm going to end with this today. In Joshua 24, he says this, Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Faith is a choice. Faith is a choice. And Joshua saw very clearly the choice that was before him and it was before the children of Israel and is before us as well. You have a choice. God gives you a choice and you can choose any God you want. He says, but choose. Don't be, don't be just neutral. Choose. And I recommend to you the only God who really is God at all and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved you, gave himself for you, that you might have a relationship with him. Let's pray. Fathers, we come before you. We are grateful for these accounts of faith in the lives of uh, Old Testament believers. They're a challenge to us, Lord, as we look at them and the things that they did, the things that they thought, the actions that they took, um, their behavior demonstrated very clearly that they trusted in you, and you saved them, you delivered them. Lord, you are the only God, the only true God, and we come before you and we worship you and thank you uh, for who you are. We thank you, Father, for sending your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, and we pray today, Lord, that if there are any here who still have not made that choice to believe in him, that they would do so today and be saved for all eternity. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming on this early Sunday. Because of uh, Daylight Savings Time, we, uh, we'll not have a closing hymn, and uh, we just uh, pray that the Lord will encourage you to, to make right choices of faith this week. Thanks.